worship God in spirit and in truth. We're thankful to have visitors with us. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We are blessed with a number of visitors from week to week, and many have placed membership with us. It might be that you're looking for a church home, and we want you to know that we would love to have you come and be a part of the family here at Olive Branch. I know that I say this on a regular basis, and I hope it doesn't sound trite, but we really want you. And I think that as a church, we have a lot to offer, and you can find a place of service in this congregation, and so we'd love to have you. I do want to express thanks to Jared for preaching in my absence the last two weeks. I appreciate Jared and his family, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to work with him on a regular basis, and I appreciate so much the great job that he does here, and I really believe that we're blessed to have him, and I appreciate him very, very much, and so just want to say thank you to him for filling in while I've been away. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 in our study today, and we're going to be talking about determined to see Jesus. I want to introduce you to a man that by all accounts, was determined to see Jesus. His name was Zacchaeus. And in this account, we find that he did what he believed he needed to do in order to catch a glimpse of the Son of God. On this rare occasion, interestingly, Jesus invited himself into his home. And as a result of that, some great things happened. And so I want us to look at Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, as we think about the theme, Determined to See Jesus. I want to begin by talking about Zacchaeus's difficulties in seeing Jesus. As we look at our lesson text, the Bible says he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not. Now, there are three things that I want to call your attention to in this point specifically. Number one, think about his occupation. The Bible says that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Jericho was about 17 miles east, northeast of the city of Jerusalem. So it wasn't far from the city of David. And Jesus is passing through this ancient city. And in verse 2, Luke says, Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. In other words, he was a superintendent. He had responsibilities, and one of his responsibilities would be to take the taxes and to make sure that government officials received them. Now, in that day and time, tax collectors were not looked upon favorably. And I know that there are many people today, when they think about taxes, they think about negative things. Well, you can understand the negative connotations that, that many people had when they heard about those who served in this capacity. But Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And then what about his reputation? If you look at verse 7, the Bible says that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, 
They said, this man has gone to be the guest, that is speaking of Jesus, with a man who is a sinner. And so I think about the people of that day looking at Zacchaeus and identifying him as a sinner. That says something about our reputation, doesn't it? About how people view us and what people think about us. When, when people think about you individually, personally, what's your reputation? What's your reputation in your family? What about among your friends, your classmates, your co-workers? Whether we realize it or not, each and every day that we live here on planet Earth, we are building a legacy, a reputation. And so Jesus came to be with this man who was a sinner. And I would point out that Zacchaeus wanted to see the right person. I mean, if you're a sinner, if that's what people think about you, then in all, well, by all accounts, he was looking for the right man. And then his frustration. He wanted to see Jesus, but he could not see him. And there were two reasons for this. Number one, because of the people or the crowd. Note, if you would, what is said down in verse 3. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. Many of us have probably found ourselves in a maze of people, and maybe we've been looking for one specific person. person. And as a result of the numerous people present on a particular occasion, we haven't been able to identify the one we're looking for. Well, here's Zacchaeus. He's looking for Jesus. He wants to see him. But he's unable to do so because of the crowd. And then secondly, because of his physical condition. Note what is said. He was of short stature. That's one thing to be battling a crowd, but then if you take into consideration this man was short in stature, it made it even more difficult to see Jesus. Secondly, I want us to think about his desire to see Jesus. Think with me for a moment or two about Zacchaeus' desire to see Jesus. Again, the Bible says that he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. And so, if you look at the lesson text in verse 4, a couple of things stand out to me. Number one, it required effort on his part to see Jesus, didn't it? Listen to what it said. He ran ahead because of the crowd and because he was a short man. He ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way. So obviously, he had to exert some energy, some effort if you please, in order to get a glimpse of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What's that say to us? It says to me that if we're going to see Jesus, we're going to have to expend some energy as well. There are going to be some things that we have to do, individually speaking, in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. Number one, it's my conviction that we're going to have to read about him in his word. Isaiah said many, many years ago, Seek ye out the book of the Lord, and read in Isaiah chapter 34, verse 16. 
If you want to see Jesus, and I'm talking about if you want to, to be able to see him clearly and accurately, if you want to see him as he is, then what you need to do is spend time in his word. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 5, verse 39 on one occasion? He told the people of that day, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And then he said, these are they which testify of me. In that same context, Jesus would say that Moses wrote about me by way of appearance. Isaiah said in chapter 53 that he hath no form nor comeliness. So that when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. I think Jesus was just an ordinary looking human being. I don't think that there was anything that stood out, physically speaking, about his appearance. He would probably have blended into the crowd. But there's something more to Jesus than just his physical appearance, isn't there? If you want to see Jesus, then you want to look deeply into his character. When I think about the character of Jesus, I think about somebody that was compassionate, caring, kind, loving, somebody that genuinely had others' best interest at heart, a unique individual. Sometimes we talk about the words of Jesus, his great message. John said in chapter 7, verse 46, no man ever spoke like this man. Can you imagine having the opportunity to hear Jesus speak? Peter would say in John chapter 6 that Jesus had the words of life eternal. Mark said the common people heard him gladly. I imagine Jesus found an audience wherever he went. I know he did. Throngs of people wanted to hear him, and rightly so, because of his great message. And then I think about the many miracles that he performed. John said in chapter 20, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so, if we're going to see Jesus and to see him for who he is and what he is, we've got to spend some time with him in his word. I think about the deity of Christ, the fact that Jesus was God incarnate, that he was the agent by which this world was made. That's what John said. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. John chapter 1, verse 3. And John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. To see Jesus as he really is. This man wanted to see Jesus. And it took effort on his part. If we want to see him, then we're going to have to, we're going to, have to expend some energy, some effort. Number one, we must read about him in his word. And number two, we must be willing to relinquish our will. That is, I've got to understand it's not my way, but his way. One of the prerequisites to following Jesus 
is self-denial. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A willingness to put to death self. We live in a selfish society, don't we? And yet what Jesus calls upon me to do is to lose myself in his will. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2 at verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. He would say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so he lived by faith. He understood that Jesus died, gave himself for his sins, and thus it was about relinquishing his will to the will of the Savior. Same is true today. There are some folks, they would like to be a follower of Jesus. The problem is they're not willing to relinquish their will. You remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus talked about how he was the bread of life that came down from heaven? The Bible says that many of those people on that occasion said this is a hard saying, a difficult saying. Who can accept it? And John said many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So Jesus asked the question, will you also go away? That's when Simon Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we believe and have come to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's a second thing I want you to see. Not only did it require effort on his part to see Jesus, but it required an escape on his part. In, in other words, when you look at, at our lesson text, you find Zacchaeus had to get away from the crowd in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. He had to separate himself, if you please. Look again, look again at what's said, beginning in verse 3. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. He had to remove himself from the people in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. Not only did it require effort, but an escape. What does that say to me? It says that if I'm going to see Jesus, then I'm going to have to escape. Number one, associations that might hinder me. There are some associations that are not healthy. When you look at the life of Zacchaeus, he was identified by the people of that day as a sinner. There were a lot of people that looked down upon him because of his occupation. The Pharisees would have excluded him because of his occupation. Paul said, be not deceived. Evil companionship corrupts good morals or good habits. And the idea is that if we want to live a Christian life, if we want to see Jesus and be with him, then we're going to have to escape from associations that would, that would hinder us. Think about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Come ye out from among them and be ye separate. Is that not what Zacchaeus did? He separated himself from the crowd 
it, it's hard to run with the devil's crowd and not be influenced by the devil's crowd. And so there are a lot of folks, they would like to be with Jesus. They'd like to see him. They would like to have a relationship with him. The problem is the people they're associating with hinder them, make it difficult. And then there is a second thing. We have to escape activities that harm us. When I think about the Bible, there are a lot of, there are a lot of positive attributes that come to mind. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, when they look at the word of God, they have the idea that this, that this book is a book of can'ts. I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. Well, here's what we need to understand. When the Bible prohibits us from engaging in certain activities, it's doing so preemptively or proactively. All I'm saying is the Bible is saying you don't need to do this or you don't need to do that because it will hurt you. It'll harm you. There are a lot of prohibitions in the Bible that are set forth in a very clear way and they are, they are given so that we might be better people. Remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There are certain activities, if we engage in those activities, they, then, then those activities are going to have some detrimental effects on our life. Alcohol is a good example. Solomon said, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Read chapter 23 of the book of Proverbs. All Solomon is saying is, if you drink, it can mess your life up. That's just one example. But there are a number of activities that the Bible talks about that are not to be incorporated into the lives of those of us who live here on planet Earth. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul identifies the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, witchcraft and sorcery and drunkenness, and et cetera, et cetera. And he said, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes we have to be willing to give up activities if we're going to see Jesus, if we're going to be with him. Why? Because they hurt us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he identified a number of problems morally speaking, that existed among those people. And in verse 11 he said, and such were some of you. What does that say? It says they had to escape those things. What things? Fornication, adultery, idolatry, homosexuality, theft, drunkenness, extortion. Why? Because those things will hurt you physically, mentally, but most importantly, spiritually. There's a third thing, and that is sometimes we have to escape attitudes that hold us. 
There are some folks, they would like to be a follower of Jesus. They'd like to see him and know, know what he's about. And they'd like to live for him. However, the problem is putting his will into their lives is difficult. They profess sometimes they believe in Jesus. Sometimes individuals will say they love the Lord. But there's a problem with putting into practice what he teaches. Jesus asked the question on one occasion, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must be willing to do what he says. You remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. A willingness to put into practice his teaching. In John 7, 17, Jesus said on one occasion, if any man willeth to do his will, he'll know the doctrine. A willingness to do what he says. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study today. And that is Zacchaeus' delight in seeing Jesus. The Bible says he received him joyfully. There are three very specific things that we ought to think about in connection with this point. Number one, note his personal contact with Jesus. Verse five, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I must abide in your home. And the Bible says, he made haste and came down and received him. So number one, he was receptive to Jesus, wasn't he? Are you receptive to Jesus? Are you receptive to him personally? Are you willing to make him a part of your life? But then note also, not only did he receive Jesus, but he rejoiced to be with Jesus. The Bible says that he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. Now think about that for a minute. Here is a man that has been identified by the crowd, by the people of that day, as being a sinner. And yet Jesus is passing through. Zacchaeus wants to see him. He climbs up into that sycamore tree. He sees Jesus, and Jesus acknowledges him and says to come down because I need to stay in your home. We ought to applaud Zacchaeus. I mean, yeah, he was a sinner. No doubt he had done a lot of bad things. Many times, tax collectors, they skim money. I don't know if Zacchaeus did or not. I suspect that he had, based on verse 8. But nonetheless, Zacchaeus wanted to be with the person who was and is a difference maker. You want to you change your life? You, you want to revolutionize your life? Let me tell you who you need to see. You need to see Jesus. Jesus Christ has the ability to change your life for the better. So here's Zacchaeus, this guy that's a sinner, not only is he receptive to Jesus, but he rejoiced to be with Jesus. 
Jesus came to your home today, would you be happy to have him as a guest? Or would you be thinking, I sure will be glad when he's out of here. Zacchaeus was happy to have him. And then secondly, his profound commitment to, to Jesus. Look at verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. All he's saying is, if I have, if I have wrongfully taken that which was not mine, I'm willing to make restitution. Now we could infer from that there would have been repentance. That's what I infer. When you make restitution for something, you're saying, look, I did something that was wrong. I'm going to make it right. It's kind of like a thief. If a thief steals something and becomes a child of God, can he keep that which he has stolen? No. You've got to return it. If I stole your watch and became a child of God, could I keep it? No. So all Zacchaeus is saying is, I'm willing to make it right. But then note, if you would, his powerful conversion to Jesus. Listen to what the Lord said. Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. First, his liberation. Here's this guy that's been classified a sinner. He wants to see Jesus. Jesus invites himself into his home. Zacchaeus is receptive. He rejoices to be with him. And now Jesus said, salvation has come to your house. Liberation. What is the greatest part about being a child of God outside of the hope of heaven? To know that my sins are forgiven. To know that I don't have to bear the baggage of sin any longer. So what if Zacchaeus? So what if Zacchaeus was an outcast, a sinner, an ungodly man. So what? He was with the right person. And here's, here's the point to press. He was with the one that could change his life for the better. Think about it. Zacchaeus went from being a sinner to a saint, didn't he? Changed just like that. What does that say to me? It says that I might be in this service today and I might be a rank sinner. My life might be marred by sin. I might be messed up. My life might be so out of control I can't even begin to put into words where I am. But because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I can enjoy liberation. You see, Jesus said, if any man, that's anybody, that's you, that's me, that's anyone, if any man will come to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When Jesus gave the great commission in Mark 16, he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. All Jesus was saying is, every person who obeys the gospel can enjoy what? Salvation. That means that you can leave here a saved, cleansed, redeemed child of God. You can walk out of here with your head held high, rejoicing because you belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're a Christian. 
He enjoyed liberation and then transformation. Listen again to what Jesus said. Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus went to the home of a man that was lost, a sinner, and he made a difference. So here's a guy that enjoyed liberation and then transformation. Let me just put it this way. Your life may be a mess. And your reputation on the street, when your name comes up in conversation, the first thing people think about is what a deadbeat, low-life, sinful person you are. Well, you know what? Jesus Christ can save you. He can sanctify you. He can secure you. He can make you what you ought to be. When you look at the life of Zacchaeus, you see somebody that enjoyed liberation and transformation. I think about the Apostle Paul. Here's a guy that was, as he said, chief of sinners. And his gratefulness, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here's what Jesus said while in the home of Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. And the disciples, that is, those who were following Jesus were asked by the religious leaders on that occasion when Jesus was dining in his house, why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? Here's Jesus' response. Those that are well have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. If we were, if we were sinlessly perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, we are sinners. And we need a savior. And Zacchaeus had the wisdom and foresight to recognize here is a man that can change my life. Now he was a descendant of Abraham. So obviously he had some understanding of the law. And the law pointed to a Messiah. And the Messiah was Jesus, the son of God. And Jesus changed his life for the better. He was determined to see Jesus as a result of that. What a difference he made in his life. I want to ask this question in closing today. Where are you spiritually? Are you a Christian? Did you know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? That means if you're lost, he came to save you. He came to save you personally, individually. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's no reason for you to be lost. There's no reason for you to be without hope and without God in this world. Why? Because Jesus came to die for your sins. And if you'll come to him, here's what he'll do for you. He will forgive you. And on the basis of the blood that was shed at Calvary, every sin can be washed away. Here's what you need to do. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent and be baptized. When you do that, Peter said you enjoyed the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Then God puts you in his family. The church, Acts 2.47. And you have the promise of life eternal if you'll live faithfully until death. So today, maybe your life isn't what it ought to be. Maybe it is out of control. Maybe when people think about you, they think about a sinner. 
You can leave here a saint today. Maybe you're a child of God and you've gone back into the world. Your life is not what it ought to be. You know it. Your family knows it. Your friends know it. Why not come home? Don't you think that there are people that care about you? I'd like to see you back in service to the Lord again. Don't, don't you think that, that God the Father wants you home? In Luke 15, we read about the prodigal son. When he came to his senses, he said, I'll arise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He wanted to go home. And you may be here today and you're in that distant land of sin. We want you home. God wants you home. Why not let us pray with you and for you and God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.